What is up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. Here joined by Ali Khan Bijani of the Athletic. Ali Khan, how you doing, man? Good, man. Nice to be back. It's nice to have you back. Last time we had you back was the Kevin Durant trade back in February, oh and a lot's happened since then, uh, in- including notably the the Suns being down 0-2 with Kevin Durant to the to the Denver Nuggets. Uh, just an absolute crazy series uh the the suns just i mean they they just look uh, outmatched over there but anyways this is a rockets podcast so i'm not sure if you heard i'm not sure if you've been paying attention to the news but the rockets hired a basketball coach last week and it was kind of a big deal it was the quickest coaching search the rockets have conducted in over 40 years it was also the lar- largest contract the organization's ever given to a head coach before we get into what we think of the hire I first want to ask you, how did you think Houston addressed the Boston incident with Udoka? You know, I, I'm I'm going to be very careful about this, mainly because I talked about this. I did another podcast. I talked about it, and I got – man, it was so many people who were just really frustrated by what I said. And all I said was is that just – I think people are just looking at this from an Ime Udoka perspective, but – you can't just look at this, like address it or look at it from his perspective. There's other parties involved in this too. Um, and like, no, no one is saying that he deserve, doesn't deserve a second chance, but you can't just dismiss it and overlook it and just move on to basketball immediately. Right. Um, the, the tricky part is in all of this is, you know, what, you know, who decides or what can he do to be accepted again? Or like, for most people, and I would say, for based off what I've seen on Twitter and Reddit and other places, most Rocket, Rockets fans have already accepted him. But is there is you know it just it, it, there's there's this conversation I had initially when I first when the report first report first came out. Someone was you know w- what is that thought process like in terms of is this now the right time for him to get that second chance? So I said this. When he was in consideration for the job, I did a podcast with Ben Dubose talking about all the candidates. Uh, Ime was his top guy, uh, and Ime was not my top guy. And this was one of the reasons, right? Because there were a lot of quality head coaches out there. And if you were going to go with Ime, you had to A, be damn well sure that you did your due diligence into him and and what exactly happened in Boston. Uh, Reach out to all the sources you have there. Talk to all the HR guys, all the sources you have within the Celtics organization, talk to the league office, uh, try to see if you can get your hands on that report um, that that independent law firm did. Um, And then you have to be ready to explain yourself at the introductory press conference. You had to do those two things. And I'll just say this up until the last, that last Tillman quote, I think they did as well as you possibly could given the circumstances. The reality is Ime and the Rockets were not going to get into the specifics about the incident because there were other people involved. There yes. are real privacy. There are real privacy issues of at course. play. Of course, but there was a way to show remorse, to show personal growth, and to take accountability without getting into the details, right? And I think Ime did a good job with that. He talked about the sensitivity training he did and the, the counseling, and he, you know, he talked about how he taught his son a lesson through this whole process. And like, like that was a really mature answer 
that he gave, right? And we learned a lot. Like, no one knew about the sensitivity training before that. Nobody knew about the counseling. Ime hadn't talked to the media before this. So this was all new information. So, like, I thought that was good on Ime's part. I thought Rafael did a good job of basically saying, listen, we do due diligence. Due diligence, excuse me, I can't say that word. We do due diligence on all the guys we look into for head coaches. And we did extensive research into this. We talked to the league office about it. We were comfortable with what we found. And obviously, some of the reporting came out before the, the press conference, right? So, like, he didn't really have to explain much because it was all out there what the Rockets did, right? Like, the Rockets talked to Adam Silver. Adam Silver gave them the green light and said, listen, we're comfortable with that one-year suspension. That, that, that was sufficient. Based on the, the, the report that we got from the Celtics on the incident, we're comfortable that one year was a sufficient suspension and that he should be considered for a head coaching candidate, uh, head coaching jobs, right? So the Rockets yeah. took that and they talked to, which I thought was an important step. Uh, they talked to Gretchen Shear, right? Um, the CEO of the Rockets, and they asked her if she thought it was a good idea. And like that to me is like probably the most important step that didn't get reported initially, right? Like I think you have to be able to talk to the the, the leaders, the woman, the female leaders in your organization, and you know basically say, is this a move that will make you uncomfortable, right? Is this a move that we you feel we can make, right? Because that's that's what's important here, right? You you are an organization that employs other female employees. And you have to be able to ensure their safety, ensure their comfort, and ensure that this is not going to happen again, right? So they did that, and I, that that to me was good, right? Rafael talked about not not he didn't talk about the the full extent of all this, right? But he but he did broadly touch on this stuff, right? And you know, Ime, I, I thought this was probably the most important thing he could have done. He didn't get defensive. Uh, he 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 attacked it head on. He definitely attacked right. it head on. Yeah, that's probably the worst thing you could do, right? In a situation like this, like you cannot get defensive. So when you look at it, one, the organization did their due diligence and explained the hire. Two, Udoka took responsibility. Three, Udoka showed remorse and pointed to ways in which he's grown from the incident. And as someone who doesn't exactly know what happened, but was nervous about this hire, partially due to this incident, I was okay with the bulk of this presser. Tillman's last quote was bad crazy, but I thought the presser was largely fine. And it was important to land a good balance here because this is an organization, again, like I just said, they, they employ a lot of women. The CEO is a woman. The head of PR is a woman. You have women on the broadcast. You have to be very delicate about a hire like this and sensitive to everyone's feeling. And I think they accomplished that from what I can tell from that introductory presser. I, I just want to Candace Buckner from the Washington Post wrote a, wrote a column, or just not a column, more so a perspective about the whole hire and her perspective that Ime Doka's second chance came, came too quickly. And I just want to read a quote from there. I just want to share that perspective from, from her article. She said that conflicting narratives with the Udoka hire exist because there's no evidence of a middle ground. The only choices should be eternal banishment or an immediate appointment as the most sought out after candidate in the market. Udoka has a right to coach again, but maybe his comeback story wouldn't feel so turbulent had other organizations not been so quick to pardon or overlook his mistakes. And I think that's a, just a direct, um, you know, re, uh, direct point to Brooklyn attempting to hire him 
back in November when Steve Nash was fired. one month after the incident, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, um, but yeah, but like, but one thing I do want to praise the Rockets for um, is that you know you allowed him to speak, you allowed him to do it. It wasn't a situation where somebody asked a question and PR stepped in or Rafael and Tillman stepped in. They allowed Ime to be able to address it, and I think that was very important. And I, I hate to even say I applaud that, but unfortunately there are instances where PR does protect um, you know, pl- players or coaches or just prominent members of an organization from speaking out sometimes uh, about certain things. Um, and lastly, Rafael, you brought up the whole Rafael and Tillman thing. Tillman brought up how he would not have made this hire if he had not spoken to the NBA. Rafael as well. And just, I want to just bring up Adam Silver's public comments. He said, we reviewed the determination of suspension. And we decided that we decided that we decided that seemed like, which was a year-long suspension, seemed like a fair discipline under the, those circumstances. And w- then, when other teams, it wasn't just the Rockets, asked us if we would be available to coach for next season, we said we would be based on our. He, we said he would be based on our understanding of that record with the Celtics. So that was right. Adam Silver and Tillman and Rafael both directly pointed that out that hey. We spoke to the NBA, and Rafael was point blank asked if he had access to the legal, um, the legal documents, the report. The report. Yeah. And he never explicitly said yes or no. He just said we did our due diligence and we asked the NBA, which I think is the right answer. If the NBA, which was involved in, in that in those proceedings, you know, said that, then as an organization, you want to be able to hide yourself behind that. So I think from a PR that perspective, I think if I'm looking at it from that perspective, they handled it right. But just personally, I, 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 I do think there's a lot of merit and I'm really appreciative of Candace Buckner for sharing that perspective about just the turbulence behind this hire and why it's so, why, why, why there's so much, you know, they, so many things surrounding this. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, and if, if, I, if I may, so yeah. if I were to guess what happened here, I don't think the the NBA granted the Rockets access to the full report. I think what happened is they asked the league what they thought based on the report because I don't think the league would just give the report to the Rockets, right? Because this involved Celtics employees and there was there'd be real HR issues and just handing that over, right? Handing that information over. I think likely if the Rockets had gotten the report, they probably wouldn't have been surprised, right? Because they did their due diligence independent of the league as well, right? They They went out and they talked to people right and they probably had a good idea of what happened by the time they talked to the league office right so i don't know to what extent the access they had to that reporting but i would guess it was a very top level access right because like in surface level excuse me i don't think they had i don't think the league would just give that out if that's just my guess i i no i don't i don't disagree with you there i you know I, I, I've said what I said on a previous podcast. I'm saying what I'm saying now. Um, I just all I all I want to end and my points with this Solomon are that there's not just one person involved. It's not just Ime Udoka. There's another party. There's multiple parties. There's multiple perspectives. Even if you disagree with the way somebody is sharing their perspective about it or how, what they feel about it. You should not attack them. You should not be name-calling. You should not be putting out tweets 
or memes about, oh, women in the organization should be protected from Ime Yudoka. Um, stuff like that is what I find disrespectful. Um, but, you know, ultimately, Ime is getting a second chance. And, you know, I, I, I hope that he's able to take full advantage of the second chance that he's getting. Yeah, and listen, like you and I were there for years, right? We observed Mike D'Antoni's interactions with the Rockets employees, right? So you and I know that the the top the, the person that Mike interacted most with was not his lead assistant, right? It it, it wasn't uh, whoever was the lead assistant at the time, right? No. It was head of PR, yeah. right? Which was female, right? Like Tracy Hughes. Like the, the, this is this is how it goes. Like this is why the Rockets had to pay attention to this stuff. Right, because yeah. you have to be, you have to, like, make sure those people are comfortable with the hire like that. And you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned the, the the Buckner piece because, like, it is true. Like, the, there there was a middle ground here where he doesn't just get to coach right away after a year, right? Like, for example, look at the Gerson Rosas situation, right? Very, I, I don't want to say similar because we don't know what happened here with Udoka, but Udoka went out with a subordinate, and so did Gerson. And basically, the organization deemed it inappropriate at the time and dismissed him. And he did not get a, he did not get consideration for a general managership right away. Uh, he is still bouncing around the league as a uh, assistant executive, right? And that's a very poignant contrast to this, right? Where Udoka was immediately the top assistant one month out. Two months out, one year out, right? There was never a point in time where he wasn't the top candidate on the market. So I think that's a fair perspective to have because I'm sure if you're a female viewing that, it's like, well, so what, right? So I'm sympathetic to that perspective. Okay, so let's talk about the hire overall. So I thought this was a solid hire. Uh, I've said it before, uh, Ime was not my preferred candidate. I personally preferred someone with a longer track record like Frank Vogel or Nick Nurse. But Udoko does check all the important boxes I thought Houston needed. Uh, A, he is someone with head coaching experience. B, he is someone with quality head coaching experience. So he's not like someone like James Borrego, right? Who's like never had like uh, a 51 team before, right? He's This is a guy first season in the NBA, made the NBA Finals. Uh, and C, he is someone with a proven ability to help young players reach their full potential. So it doesn't really matter if it wasn't my personal choice. This is a coach that will give the Rockets some much-needed structure. This is a coach that will give Houston some much-needed accountability. And he provides some checks and balances. Uh, Ime is well-liked around the league. Several smart executives tried to hire this guy. People like Brad Stevens originally, Sean Marks, and then Masai Ujiri. Uh, I mean, these are some of the smartest front offices we're talking about here. So I'm good with the hire. The way Houston's list was shaking up, I honestly thought there were five guys that you couldn't go wrong with, and they chose one of the five. So I believe this will be a significant upgrade over Steven Silas. But what about you? How did you feel about Ime going into this process? And how do you feel uh, now that the hire has been reported and it's done? Yeah, if I'm looking at this from just a basketball perspective and and now that we've wrapped up the, the conversation, um, I, I I'm I'm okay with the hire. I think it's a good hire. Um, I actually prefer to bring in Kenny Atkinson or um, Frank Vogel. Honestly, I think Frank Vogel just with his experience and being able to kind of help 
bring some sort of identity to a young squad. That was something I was really looking at. Um, but, you know, Ime, through his one season, has shown that he is able to connect with players and put them in, in positions where they have to be able to learn and figure out and play with one another, multiple perspectives, multiple personalities, different learning styles, different ways of going about, or different playing styles as well, being able to kind of play together. The Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum situation. So I think that, that bodes well whenever you br- you have Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Alperin Shingun, three guys who demand the basketball on offense, want to handle the ball, have the ball in their hands. I think it just bodes well in terms of being able to make that work um, as well. And also just coming from a system where he was he, he was in San Antonio for 10 years. He goes to Philadelphia around a similar system that he's 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 been through. Goes to Brooklyn, totally different environment, totally different system. Learns how to handle those types of situations. Works with superstars, Joel Embiid. Uh, he worked with Ben Simmons, worked with Kevin Durant, worked with Kyrie Irving, James Harden, then Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. So he's seen you know, that as well. I, I, I just really, I, I think from the perspective of trying to build some sort of culture, I think it makes sense. Um, I'm eager to see the identity part of it. Now, I know people will say, well, Ali Khan, he, he, did, he built one in, in Boston. They were, went to the NBA Finals. Yes, but this is something where more it's more of a blank slate. You you have young players. Those guys were three years older. High draft. Right, like yeah. Tatum and Brown were three years older than what um, Green and, and Shangun are right Yeah, now. Yeah, it, 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 they're still young, man. They're still 20. They're, they're not even old enough to go anywhere. Uh, you know, so I, I, I they think can't rent a car yet. Be, I don't think, right? I think it's twenty five, right? Twenty five. The twenty five. Yeah, yeah twenty five is renting a car. Man. Which, by the way, that is really dumb in my opinion. But anyways, I digress. I think it's an um, insurance thing. Whatever. Yeah, you, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, I, I think if from that perspective, if they want accountability, they want to start building habits. I think Emay's a good person to build habits because he's not gonna be nice to you if you make a mistake. He's gonna call you out. He's gonna visibly. Not just with verbal communication, but also with this nonverbal communication, lets you know that you screwed up big time. And I think that's something that Tillman really likes. And by the way, I thought it was really interesting when he, when in the introductory presser, how Tillman said that Ime's the kind of person you want when you're running a business. And he kind of, he kind of described Ime in terms of business type of qualities. And I just thought that was very interesting and bodes well for Ime's long term future here. Yeah, so let's talk about like like the qualities that this guy brings to the job, right? Because you, you talked about the accountability element of it, right? Because that, that is really what he is known for, right? Like that was his reputation in Boston, right? That was you know primarily what player what what media types talked about when, when we talked about Ime Doka was like this is a guy that kept Tatum Brown smart uh, accountable. He was a guy who could uh, speak to them on a level. That other coaches, frankly, couldn't because this is a former player. This is a guy that could inspire. This is a guy that could be tough but fair. Um, but also, like, he was kind of the, the go-to defensive guy for, like, several teams around the NBA, right? Like, we talked about how he got to start with the Spurs. He was there for seven years, was part of that defensive coaching staff, uh, went to Philadelphia, was part of that defensive coaching staff, went to Brooklyn, was the lead defensive guy there. Same thing in Boston. Like, so this was, like, his bedrock as an NBA head coach. And I'm kind of wondering, like, 
what does he bring as a tacticianer, right? Because Nick Nurse, like we kind of knew Nick Nurse was like, he, Nick Nurse is one of the NBA's top tacticianers, right? Where he's right up there with Rick Carlisle, with Eric Spolstra, with Steve Kerr, whoever you want to put up there in terms of the top X and O's guys, he's up there. Uh, where is Ime on that ladder for you? That's a great question. And I'll be honest with you, those those four coaches you mentioned, for me, those who are, I think are the best coaches in the NBA, and I'm not including Greg Popovich because we know he's the GOAT emeritus, but, you know, Eric Spolstra, got Nick Nurse, you got Rick Carlisle. Uh, I mean, just three of those names right there. Steve Kerr, like you mentioned. I mean, just some really good X's and O's coaches. I don't even know if I would put Ime Udoka as an X's and O's coach more so. He's a coach that knows how to push the right buttons and kind of put players in the right situations. Now He did last some nice ATOs. I, 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 well, I did I, look, go back and look at those, and I, I was impressed. Like he, he, he did have some success on the ATOs, which is always like a tell for me. What I mean by the X's and O's things, though, is that – and the point I was trying to make is that he, I think he will get there, especially with a young team. It'll be really interesting to see how his, the perspective on him changes in, in that regard. But when you're looking at just defense I, – I, I, I think when you talk about X's and O's in, in after timeouts, someone, you're, you're focusing more on the offensive end. I think X's and O's sometimes just gets labeled more as an offensive thing. But X's and O's are also about defense. And what I really liked about Ime is that not only would he primarily run switching, but he would he would have game plan switching. And what I mean by that is he would switch, but with the but with the intent of doing it based off the individual player and also the pick and roll or ball screen situation that was involved. It was a two ball screen with a specific type of player. They would do one thing. If it was if it was another situation, they would do the other. And also what I really liked, and I think he's a big, big part of this next generation of switch defenses is that he introduced the not introduced, sorry, maybe that's too, too strong of a word, but he was a big a proponent of switching now also including playing the gaps. So it was like this hybrid zone switch type of defense where you would switch, but you would also, you would also play the specific passing angles and driving lanes that puts players in a more shrunk half court setting, it's not the saying that there's not as there, there's not there's less space than it normally is if you're you know if you're crashing inside or you're playing on the perimeter. But they would purposely put players in switch off of switches that you know which promotes isolation. In those isolation, they would put players in specific situations like a little mini zone that force a player to make passes or drive to areas of the floor they were not comfortable doing so. And now, granted, that's Boston had more experienced veteran players. And with how much Rafael and Tillman publicly have said they're bringing veteran players, I'm really eager to see if that type of defense can be implemented by Ime Udoka, who, from the defensive perspective, I think is a really good X's and O's coach. Hey, listen, I, I never said it wasn't just uh, uh, it wasn't off just offense, right? Like I, I I understand that you know he he does have a good reputation as a defensive coach, and what he did in Boston was impressive. But he also had Smart, Tatum, Brown, Horford. You know, like he had like a like some of the best defensive personnel in in basketball, right? 
Now, granted, you can have some of the best defensive personnel in basketball, and you don't get to blowing teams out by the end of the season, right? Like consistently, and you're the second best defense in basketball, right? Like it, it takes it takes someone who knows his stuff to get people to that point. But you look at what the per, the personnel that Houston have certainly much more limited than what he was dealing with in Boston. You got Shangoon, you got Kevin Porter Jr., you got Jalen Green, you got. Um, guys who who are perceived perceived to be liabilities right now at this point in their careers, and I am wondering. You know, you mentioned free agency. Like, I'm wondering if they shape their off season in the identity of of Udoku because I remember when the Rockets hired Mike D'Antoni, and immediately they shaped their off season in the identity of Mike D'Antoni. Right? They went after Ryan Anderson. They went after Eric Gordon. They went after Nene. Right? They they went after high powered. Uh, offensive players that would, would really support Harden on the defensive end of the floor. And that really translated to a successful campaign for Mike D'Antoni, his first season with the Rockets. I'm wondering if they try to do that or if they're just going to go for the best guys available, which I suspect they're going to do. And if the best guy available is James Harden, well, that's not exactly going to help on the defensive end of the floor. Right? My point is, I'm not sure immediately what he's going to be able to accomplish, especially because he's not going to be able to switch here. Like, point blank, this is not the personnel to switch just yet. Maybe if you if you make some trades, maybe if you shake up the roster, but at, at, at present moment, this is not a roster that is built to switch, in my opinion. So what, the, what he does next year with the personnel the Rockets end up trying to get or end up having going into the season is very interesting. And obviously a lot of this is going to end up on what happens on lottery night. If they get Victor Wembanyama, everything changes. Everything changes. Everything I just said goes in the trash can because chances are the roster ends up looking drastically different and they can end up switching. So I'm, I am very interested to see if they don't get lucky on lottery night, if they, don't, if they end up getting lucky with, the top, with their top for Asians, what he plans to do or the, the success he can have with a much more limited defensive personnel. I I, I think it's, that's a really interesting point you bring up about the whole personnel. Is it going to go the D'Antoni route or is it going to go the other route? I have a feeling that they're going to go based off of the style of play Ime wants. And I think the free agent class is really going to help us visualize what we're going to see and obviously yes that changes with the lottery um a couple things to keep in mind if they do not get Wembenyama, which i'm just gonna pretend that the rockets you know they i'm not including the draft pick they're probably gonna have there's, there's an 86 percent chance that they're not getting victor Wembenyama, so it's okay to say yeah yeah. So, yeah let's focus on let's focus on the roster holes right now i legitimately <laughs> do think they could get a player like Brooke Lopez. I also think Paul Reed from the Sixers or maybe Rashawn Holmes, who doesn't play that much with the, with the Kings, just a different type of big that can kind of be more of a rim presence. I feel like that's going to be a priority for them. So that's why I mentioned those names. Um, second, um, also be able to shoot the basketball, not Rashawn Holmes, obviously not, but Brooke Lopez. Yes. But I think just getting a big who can kind of help them stretch the floor and, and re- rebound effectively at the fly position will be helpful for them. Um, and before those Alperin Shingun fans listen and say, well, you already have Alperin Shingun, you know, develop, that's great. 
But clearly from the press conference, it sounds like Ime wants some additional additional skills from a big. And so that's not saying that LP won't get playing time or is not going to start. I still think he's going to start. But I, I do think that it's going to be really dependent on the type of big they're able to get to be able to help him and not just kind of rely on him and his specific skill set, be able to have different skills present to give Ime a chance to kind of work and do different things offensively and defensively as well. Um, if I were to tell you right now, someone what, what I envision from this team, I envision either a starting or backup point guard, a wing and a big. I think that, to me, would determine success for this offseason. Getting one veteran who's a capable contributor in a possible eight- to nine-man rotation at the one, at the three, and at the five. If they can get that and use their $60 million to be able to do that, I think that's a successful offseason. And then I really do think Ime will have a chance to actually institute some more layered principles and foundations, not just basic actions or basic principles that Steven Silas was really imploring his team to learn, but actually layered principles and foundational sets on offense, principles of switching or drop or different types of coverages defensively. Um, if you have veterans, it's easier to be able to kind of put those things to practice. So I definitely do. If you were to ask me today, if I'm a betting person, I, I do think they're going to do it based off of players he wants. But I also think it's going to be a one one guard, one wing, and one big. So who is that? Because like I, I look at the free agent class, and if you're not getting Harden, which I think they absolutely should pursue, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. We don't have to talk about that right now. If they're not getting Harden, my top guy on the market right now that fits perfectly like a glove on their roster is Fred Van Vliet. Like, and I've been talking about this for 12 months. Like, This is a guy I love for the Rockets. He makes so much sense. Uh, and you know he's gonna be a free agent. He's gonna demand, I, I would say, a significant chunk of change, but I think it's worth it. And I think he's exactly the type of player you want to put next to Green. He's a defensive player that can shoot the basketball and space the floor for you, and doesn't need the ball in his hands all the time. So, and is is a capable playmaker as well, right? So if he does have the ball in his hands, he he, he can play make. So like th- that's a guy I think could fit in well as a off guard as a as a one it, it really as any variation you want whether you want to start him whether you want him to come off the bench as a really really high powered six man i think van vliet's an awesome target to go get as far as the center market like you mentioned brooke lopez so the thing about the thing about lopez is first of all the guy's a beast like he, he was a candidate for defensive player of the year what he's done with his game over the over his career is is just astonishing like Turning from where he started to where he is, you, I, I, it's really hard to describe the transition he's made. Like it, it is just so surprising. He was not this guy like ten years ago. He was a totally different player, and he just became like one of the best defensive players in basketball, and became a th- a, a three point shooter, which is like, uh, really really commendable. But apart, like if my point is, if you go for him. He's 35 years old, so he's not exactly working towards your future, and I'm I'm presuming you're gonna have to start him. So I'm 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 just trying to figure out like where you place someone like that, where you place someone like Draymond, because I'm hearing his name a lot too, and I'm not sure. I think he's even he's even worse of a fit on this roster because again the shooting would be an issue. He does provide playmaking which the Rockets need. So like 
as far as bigs, who are you looking at? Is it just Brooke Lopez? Or is there somebody else that you that, that you have your eye on? Uh, you mentioned Rashawn Holmes. I like Rashawn Holmes. Makes sense as a backup center. But he's not exactly changing your life right now, right? He was struggling to find playing time with the, with the Kings in the playoffs this year precisely for that reason. He's just not someone who's going to change your life. All right. So I know Nasri's name has been put out there a lot. I personally really like Kevin Love. I like Mason Plumley. And I, I, I feel like those two are names that are not really talked about. Don't need it for shooting, but just to be able to provide some just additional perspectives and um, not perspective, more playing style. I keep saying perspectives. More so different playing styles that allow you to do different things. Um, I wonder if they look into Mike Muscala, um, who you know is still going to have – Boston will have his bird rights, but you're going to see if that could potentially be something or someone they look into. Um, Mo Wagner, who is a free agent for Orlando as well, provides some shooting. And you notice the thing here, I'm, I'm looking at shooters. Jackson Hayes, if he ends up not staying with the Pelicans, um, I do not want undersized players. I do want some more size. Um, and so that's why I'm kind of naming those specific players. Other than that, man, I really don't see anybody out in the market who I feel like would give them really good playing time um, and be serviceable other than those those few. What did you think of Fred Van Vliet? I personally like the Fred Van Vliet um, thing you brought up. Just a couple things to keep in mind for him offensively and defensively. He's good covering spot up. He's actually pretty decent against uh, post-up bigs. He's okay as a pick-and-roll defender. Um, but offensively, you know, that was our defense. Offensively, his stats, 72nd percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler. Um Pretty good on spot up, pretty good in ISO, um, decent in the handoffs, but he's really good coming off of screens in general. So I, I, I think that would be great for them. I just – whatever they do at the point guard position, you have to have someone who's going to complement, I think, three players. Okay? You have to complement Jabari and Jabari's growth, which he's working on in terms of shooting all around the court this offseason. You have to be able to complement Jalen. And because Jalen needs to be able to get the ball on the move to be able to create an advantage, and then you also need to have a guy who can make an entry pass, entry pass to Alper and Shangun. Because as of right now, in my opinion, the only person on the roster who can make an entry pass effectively without turning the ball over a lot is Jabari Smith, and most of his assists this season were to Alper and Shangun. So I, I think if you can bring a point guard who can set those three up for success, you're in really good shape. I thought this season was a step backwards because it was not a step forwards. And the reason I say that is we are looking at these lower end free agents because we don't think that they're going to be attractive to these high end free agents, right? And, 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 you know, there aren't that many high end free agents, right? But but the, the guys that are out there, it is hard to envision a scenario in which they pick Houston versus remaining where they are. Right, like Middleton, for example, right, like as bad as as Milwaukee season ended, and it was it was ugly. I can't imagine why he would want to come to Houston versus staying in in Milwaukee. If 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 uh, anything but just money, right? Like, I think money is probably what Houston has that Milwaukee can't offer or doesn't want to offer it rather, yeah. uh, and like that to me is is a bummer because like. They really should have taken a step forward and and and, sh- and become like an exciting 
free agent destination because there there's no reason they can't be right like their their pieces are really exciting to me i i don't know how you feel about their core ali khan but i i do like jalen i like shangun i like jabari right and i don't know why they had to be this bad this year i don't know like it it, it, it to me this was like almost like slapping yourself in the face this season like and shangun was a perfect example of that right a guy that was just consistently underutilized consistently if i could say so myself disrespected uh by his own coaching staff it felt so strange and i i do hope that Ime comes in here provides some structure and recognizes the top guys on his roster right the top guys that will help him take steps forward next season. So that to me is my hope, and I'm I'm uh, my hope is that the Rockets go and find somebody, go and find guys that help the Rockets achieve that goal. I, man, you know I I just I want to be able to look at this next season as a way to really give me an idea of where this roster is at in terms of their team skills. I think individually we have an idea of where each player is at. I mean, actually, no, I would disagree with that. We don't have a full understanding of where each player is individually, but I think we have a decent understanding. But I don't feel like I have an understanding of how they fit together as a team and, and whatever style is going to work best. And if Ime, based off his initial 10 games, and I'm sure now that he's hired, he's watching more film, if he's able to figure that out, I, I want to see what, what type of system he wants to put into place. A lot of that will come from the free agents. A lot of that come, will come from summer league. Uh, we'll have an understanding of how everything goes into the season. But based off of past and based off of what I've seen, just kind of doing some digging already, he's going to want to establish a team that plays connected on offense. And it's not just like, oh, they're going to pass the ball, play Spurs basketball. It's more so connected in terms of spacing, connected in terms of passing. So what, what, what does that mean, connected in terms of spacing? It means that if, a, if one and two are playing pick and roll, well, three, four, and five, have to maintain optimal spacing. Now, that sounds easy, and Steven Silas wants to do that too, but it's all about communicating and staying in front. That in itself is a read, watching what your teammate is doing, watching what the defender is doing, and going through that. Second is passing. Being able to actually move the ball across the court, right? Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., both of them cannot make consistently passes to the weak side. And that's been a big Achilles heel, and for an Ime Yudoka offense, especially what I've seen from Brooklyn, what I've seen from Boston, and what I saw in Philly when he was there, being, ha- being able to make the pass from the strong side to the weak side is super important. And that's something he's probably, when he goes to meet with Jalen, with all these guys individually, he's going to stress that to them. Hey, you have to be able to make that pass. And so being able to take their individual talents and make that into something they can put together from a team perspective is how, for me, is going to be the best way to determine. I'm probably saying common sense to a lot of people, but you you have players who can score. You have players who can do great things individually. Now is the time this offseason to put that together. Nobody's saying go out and win the championship next year, but show progress as a team, not just individually. I think that will give a lot of people a better taste in their mouth of what's to come. Yeah, I I really do think they need to put their foot on the gas next year, right? And and and, and it's not just because Oklahoma City owns uh, their pick; it's it's also because I think they should have taken a step forward last year. So of whatever course. step, yeah. w- whatever step they take this year has to look 
Like they they were they taken a step forward last year in, in that like let's say I thought they were supposed to win like thirty games last year. I think next year they should aim to win like forty to fifty, and that may seem ambitious. It doesn't seem ambitious to me because of where I thought they should have been. Right? I really yeah. don't. I I I think I think it's a reasonable goal. Um, and I, I I'm looking at um, you know you you, you I'm glad you mentioned how we weren't able to collect like data, like the best data on these guys. Like how much better would we feel about how, what the Rockets do this summer if we knew what the hell Aperon Shingun was, right? Like, like le- le- just that, just that question mark. If we had that answered last season, how much better would we feel about how they make decisions around well, it, right? I, I don't feel like we have any idea how any of these players are. I, 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 but I, him specifically. All, but well, him well, specifically. Well, look, look I, I know how much you love Alpi. I enjoy Alpi. I feel it's, like it's, it's I feel not, like not that. It's, it's not. It's not my love. It's not my love. Of perspective. About, no, 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 no. It's not my love. It's not my love, Leekon. I'm saying, if if we knew for sure whether or not he is that guy versus whether or not he's not that guy, it would be so much easier for this front office to make decisions around that, right? Like because then. You can you can decide this offseason whether or not he is someone you can you know decide to move or not, right? Like I think that that's like, kind of what I'm trying to say any, here. But is there any player you can? Okay, I'm gonna make it harder. Besides Kevin Porter Jr., is there any player you have an idea of who he is already? Yeah, you you know who Jalen Green is already. Yes. Wow. He is. He, I, I don't. He, I don't agree with I, that. I, but okay. I, I I listen. Like Jalen Green. Like this is not a disrespect to him. This is just like I've been very neutral on him. Like as in, like when when he came into the league, I felt a certain way about him, and I haven't really changed on that. Like I think he's going to be an all star. I think he's going to make multiple all star teams. I think he's going to be somewhere between Zach Levine and Devin Booker, and I don't I don't think that's a bad a bad NBA outcome. That's a very good NBA outcome, but that. That to me, that's a very predictable NBA outcome. It's not something. It's not. There's nothing wrong with having a predictable NBA outcome. Like, is is he some grand mystery box to you? Do you think there's something beyond what I just said? I I, I just don't feel like I have a good idea of who he's going to be or what his preferred playing style is. Or I understand that, but do you things. think do you think he's going to be better than what I just told you? Yes, I do, and I can say the same about Alper and Shangun. But like you said. Do you, you no no hold enough. on hold on that, that now 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 you're saying something different now you're saying no that, you that was the possible. whole point I was trying to but that was the whole point I was trying to make someone is that like you're, you're like I I know what you're trying to say about Alper and Shingun. I agree with you it's it would have been good if we would have known but I'm saying is do we do we have that idea about anybody on the roster right now except for Kevin Porter Jr. No yes we do with Jalen because Jalen had volume he had usage. He had reps. He had minutes. He had everything afforded to him. We had same thing with kind of we, you know, I don't want to say Jabari didn't play. Only played eighty games, right? I mean, he only played one season, right? So, but in that one season, we got more. We got more data out of him than Shengun's rookie season, right? Like a lot more, because he got reps. He got minutes. He got treated like an A plus guy versus a B lister. Which is what J, which is what Shangun got treated like, and and because he got treated like that, like we're talking about a guy about a guy that that shot like sixty two percent true shooting, that was attempting like the fourth most shots on the team, and I that that to me makes him kind of a mystery box because I'm like, do you build 
part of the roster around him or not? You know, the, like, the, is he going to become Sabonis? Yeah. Is he going to become Jokic? Is he going to become none of those things? I don't know because I didn't get to see it. I, I, I think it's fair to say you have a general idea of the direction Jalen is going in. But I think it's also fair to say you have, like, I, 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 but sorry. It's also fair to say you don't have a general idea of the direction LP is going in. But I do think both of them, with some additional skills they will add this offseason that I know they're working on, LP with the shooting, Jalen with his passing, it will open up a lot more for both of them to be able to play together in sync, which I think both of them complement each other really well. So I know we're getting kind of away from everything, but I, I do agree with you that I wish we saw more of Alper and Shangun. My point is I also wish I saw more of Jalen Green in situations that were more conducive to his success. Yeah, you're right. Like, he, 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 you know, you're 100% right. Like, this is part of it too, right? Like, he, he is such a great theoretical off-the-ball player, and he knows it, which is great, which is perfect. Like, he in that Kelly Eco article he had with Sham Sharania, he talked about how he felt like he needed to play off the ball more, and he came to Steven Salas and said that. I'm like, great! So you know, right? Like, you yeah. know how great of a, a cutter you are. You know how great of a catch-and-shoot guy you were at the G League. Like, th- that to me is healthy. It's great to build a team around a guy who knows what the hell he is. And, like, I, 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 I'm, I'm glad that Jalen knows you know, and, and uh, that, that's kind of why, uh, and I, I do think this is related. We're, you know, you mentioned how you think we're getting away from the, uh, the offseason conversation. I think this stuff's all interconnected. I think what happened this season, what happened these past three years are all interconnected to what happens this, this summer. You know, like how they decide to go, like, for example, what they do with the draft. Uh, and number two, right? Kevin Porter Jr. has had probably his best season by far in the NBA last year right so that puts you in a very interesting position if you landed at the number two spot in the draft right do you take scoot henderson do you go to brandon miller right like i think all the data we had is pertinent to answering some of those questions so that's why i'm upset about the flawed data set and you know do you get what i'm saying like i don't mean to come off preachy but that's the, that's just the way. No, uh, I, I got you, bro. No, I I understand what you're trying to say for sure. Yeah. Um. So I I, I did want to ask you about Harden because he is kind of the bearded elephant in the room, right? Like so, um, he had possibly his greatest playoff performance the other day, right? And I was tweeting throughout that, like, I don't understand if you're someone who is skeptical about giving James Harden money what where the skepticism is coming from right it's it's not just that game i wasn't being reactionary toward that game i was just using that game as an opportunity to to get my tweets off right basically i was saying who on the market is possibly better or who which collection of talent is possibly better a better use of your resources to comparatively to, to james harden and I'm wondering where you stand on that question. First of all, like, do you think James comes? Like, 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 if I were to ask you right now, like, I've asked Ben Dubose, I've asked Adam Swollen, and I, I've, I've even answered the question myself. Like, the odds that Harden returns. Where are you right now on that question? Like, what, what are the odds that Harden returns in your eyes? I think it's fifty-fifty. Okay, you're basically where uh, Ben was. I think. Yes. I th- yeah. Yeah. I think it's fifty. I think it's fifty-fifty. I, I really do think it's legitimate that he could come back um i i also think that he provides you a lot of things that you don't have 
right? I'm not just talking about a playmaking point guard perspective. I'm talking about having a guy who you can go to in situations where you need a basket or it can provide some sort of pecking order. Right now, this Rockets team or organization does not have a pecking order. That's also a big reason why they have so many problems. Yeah, that's a big reason. I think that Ime is going to is like the whole no nonsense and transparency and all that stuff. For him, it's gonna it's also gonna allow him to establish his own player kind of pecking order that he's going to give the players saying, "Hey, this is how I envision the offense going." And if you put, if you bring James in, automatically he's number one, and you kind of just allow these young players to play within a flow of an offense and learn the habits of team building versus having to worry about, oh, I'm the macho man here. I'm, I'm the head honcho. So I, I, and, I just, num- I, and, and it's easier to find out who number two is going to be, right? Exactly. Once you know who number one is, the cream rises to the top much easier. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I'm, I, I'm just all in for bringing James back. I think, I think it'd be a good signing. I'm glad you're with me on this. I'm glad you're with me on this because it really does, to me, feel like a no-brainer. Hey and, man, you can, people people complain about the Rockets not winning, and they want these young players to figure it out themselves. It's not easy. Not every young team is going to be Memphis Grizzlies. Not every young team is going to get in the playoffs. Sometimes it's important to have guys who are established to help guide these young players towards something. There's a big reason why the Sacramento Kings went out and got Demontis Sabonis because they were not an organization that was ready to compete. Then you bring in an All Star, somebody who's proven. And guess what? What happens? You have more of a identity and a foundation. You bring back James Harden. Guess what? You start. You have a pillar towards building an identity and a foundation. It's all about bringing a veteran who can tr- who can elevate the presence or the who, whose presence can elevate the play of others. I think James would just do that. He's one of those guys. More often than not, that's how these rebuilds get off the ground, right? Like that's how the yeah. Pelicans become a playoff. You gotta team spend by, money, man, you by trading for CJ McCollum, right? Exactly. I, I just think I think you just people. A lot of people are just really not happy with how. James left, and if J- let me just say this right now: if James didn't do what he did, he would not have been traded. But anyways, you know, people are just unhappy with the way he left. I, I understand that. I respect your opinion. Not to- not trying to tell you how to be a fan or not be a fan. But if you want to be honest with yourself, this team is not ready to compete in the next two to three years unless they have a generational talent that's going to uplift them, or if you bring in veteran established players or stars to kind of elevate the game and i think james harden is one of those guys who who had who i think he am i correct someone he hasn't missed the playoffs at all in his career no he hasn't and so yeah, yeah he, why not bring him in why not get these guys a pillar to help them take the next step it just makes so much sense for me yeah and like it, it, it just it, if you look at nba history if you look at just the nba more generally, generally, you you look at teams that are in the NBA right now, right? Like, how about the Phoenix Suns? You know when they made the playoffs after they traded for Chris Paul, right? They were on yep. the verge of doing it with Devin Booker alone, but they couldn't get over the hump until they got Chris Paul, right? Like, that's how these teams make jumps. The, the, you know how the Sixers got over the hump when they traded for Jimmy Butler, right? Like, yeah. this is this is how these teams make these leaps. They make trades, they make signings, they make acquisitions that get them to that next level. Look, look at the Cavaliers, albeit disappointing fashion, but look at them. They got a home court like situation, uh, or you know they were threatening for a higher seed once they traded for Donovan Mitchell. Just it makes it's 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 it is what it is. You need to have those types of players to be able to make those leaps. Got to spend money to make money, baby. 
You got to spend money yeah. to make money. Like it, it, it's that's just how it works. That's just how the league is. Uh, and and I think I think the Rockets would be. You know, like I yes, could you get far with signing a collection of vets? Of course you can. You're not going to get as far though, as if you signed a high prized free agent like James. Like James Harden, dollar for a dollar, will get you farther than you know three of the best role players on the market. He just will, because he's just that good. Even warts and yeah. all, right? We we all acknowledge what James Harden's warts are. We're not naive about that. If if anyone's honest about that, it's Rockets fans. They know it, but they also know what his strengths are. His overwhelming strengths overshadow all those weaknesses because they help raise the tides for for what this yeah. Rockets team could be. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so so uh, last question before I let you out of here because I know you have to go. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of touched upon it, but if you're the number two overall pick, who are you picking? Are you picking Scoot Henderson? Are you picking Brandon Miller? I'm, I'm, I'm a Scoot Henderson guy. I Just get get me the guard who's powerful and is going to be able to help set the table for you for the next 10, 15 years, and let's just get it going. You can't go wrong with having a wing, but it just it makes so much sense to me for to bring in Scoot Henderson. This team needs a point guard. Let him come in. Even if you bring in James Harden, let him stay here. You got Scoot Henderson. You got a building block for the future. This makes so much sense. It's the playmaking for me. Like, like he is a pretty advanced playmaker for his age. Uh, and I recognize, you know, he has he he also has warts as a prospect, right? He has not been finishing that well around the rim this year, and that's been kind of belabored. Uh, but watching him in the G League, it's hard not to see a number one pick in like many other draft classes. Like he is really, yeah. really, really talented. And um, if, if you're one, two or three in this upcoming draft, you're not going to be disappointed. You're not. And I kind of think that's kind of what the, if, if the Rockets are not top three, I've said this before. No, I, I, I tend to agree, man. I mean, you go through three straight years of a rebuilding situation you want to be able to come up with as high of a chance as you can to be able to get one of those two top-tier guys. I, I, I saw reports that if you can even get somebody in the top six, it's it's really good because these top six would likely be the top six in next year's draft. That's I just feel like it's just making you feel better about the situation. Yes, you've gotten Jalen, you were number two. Yes, you've gotten Jabari, you were number three. You got two really good building blocks. And you also have some other young players – but if you had as high of a chance as you can to get a generational prospect in Scoot or Victor, that's what you want, and that's what's going to make these last three years um, worth it. Now, I'm talking like somebody who is, has only been covering a team for three years that's going through this. Let's look at Orlando. Let's look at Detroit, teams that have not achieved the same success even before this last three years, right? And I, I want to be careful in saying that it's it's not worth it, even though there's other teams, granted other reasons too, that have been in situations with less success and not being a first or second pick overall. Yeah, it's just like to me, like because you could have gotten the, the fifth or fourth or sixth, you know, pick from, like, the 10th worst record or the 9th worst record or whatever, like, because it didn't have to be that bad, that's why it punctuates why you have to, for me, 
why you have to be top three for this to be worth it, in my opinion. As a fan myself, right, because I am a born-again Rockets fan, and I would like for this all to have been worth something. For me to get something out of what the what the hell this season was, uh, I, I need one of these top three guys. I, I need Director Wembenyama. I need Brandon Miller. I need Tui Henderson. I need one of those three guys. If I get Eamon Thompson, listen, like he's really talented, and there's a possibility he ends up being better than these one of these top three guys. But it's less significantly less likely, and I, I have a right to be disappointed about it because, again, like all that for that. You know what I mean? Like that, that's kind of where I am mentally as a fan right now. And I think the organization should feel that way internally too. I there's so much that's gone on these last few years, and you're just hoping you get some sort of sign of hope from this upcoming uh, draft lottery, and then you're hoping that going into the like the same way Jamico Ryan's has provided this like really positive uplifting for the Houston Texans. You hope you're hoping that Emay and whoever they bring in through the draft is gonna provide some more confidence and and just better vibes for this fan base moving forward. Better vibes. Better vibes indeed. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Alikon. Uh, sorry again for the audio issues, but we will work on stitching this together the best we can. Uh, please make sure to follow me on Twitter at SoMarlyNBA. Uh, Alikon, tell the people where we can follow your work and follow you on social media. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Rockets underscore as well. Appreciate you having me on, bro. It was always fun. Talk to you down the road.